The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. You know, they, they, they say there's a difference between a house and a home. And it's kind of funny, isn't it? Because it's really the same thing, whether, you know, it's just a building that you live in. You move in there, and it's either a house or a home, and what's, what's the difference? How does that really work? Like, think about it. Like, so you, you move into a new place, and maybe you're not really sure about it. Uh, you're not, maybe you're not sure about the setup or the, uh, the bathroom situation. You're not sure about the neighborhood. You're not sure about your roommates. Um, Abramskis and Charles, I don't know if you know that they, they're new roommates to each other. And so, um, and particularly, it's kind of funny. It's like a clash of cultures between those two coming together. <laughs> I would love to have I would love to have a reality show in the Abritsky Charles Grace. Uh, uh, maybe it's very boring, but I'd love to have a, a, a webcam in that, in that place. I don't mean to sound like creepy, but like I'd love to see what's going on in there. Can you imagine Charles sharing a place with Dan and his brother? He said, "I don't even know why I'm saying this." He, he, he's, he said he, he said his mom was in town one weekend, and he was and he was really he he, he calls the Abritsky brothers the Abercrombie brothers. And, and so he said he, he took his mom, he was very proud, to, to show them his new apartment. And so he goes to the door, and the, Dan comes, and he, or one of the brothers comes and opens the door, and they didn't have a shirt on. And he's like, come on, man! He's like, I have to wear a t-shirt all the time. This is going to be terrible. But maybe you move into a new place, and you aren't really sure about the setup, the neighborhood, the roommates, the neighbors. But before long, it starts to feel different, Right? It goes from just being a place where you like go home at the end of the night or you sleep to all of a sudden it starts to feel more like a home. And what's the difference? Or maybe you've experienced where you go and set up and you move into a new place and all your stuff is there and everything's nice and you like the neighborhood and you like the people that you're rooming with and you like the whole situation, but it, it just doesn't feel like home. Why is that? Because the, what changes, what makes a house into a home is the people that are there, that your family's there. And if you have your family, you can make any place into a home. There's some of us, we've moved up into new, larger places, and we first got in there, and it felt too big, and then before long, it became home. And some of us have had to downsize, and we move into a new place, and we just felt it was a really crummy place, but before long, it feels like home, because family there. That's because home isn't about the architecture, it's about the people. When, when they are there, that's what makes a house or an apartment into a home. And then when you get the people together, they begin to, uh, together, sorry, this is driving me crazy. They, they begin to express who they are and what they're about through their home. Think about it. Your home expresses who you are and what you're about. When you go to other people's home, we know that, right? Like, let's just be honest. When you walk into somebody else's house or somebody else's home, you're like looking around and you, like all of a sudden, no matter, you might have been to church with them, you might have been out to dinner with them, you might work with them, but all of a sudden you walk into their house and you see who they are, right? You see what they value, what they're about, what's hanging on the wall, what the, how the house looks, what the people are like, how does everything work and roll around? All of a sudden the people who are there take that house, take that building, take that architecture, and all of a sudden they all, the same family could live in the same place, decorate it the same way, but it 
feels different because they're expressing themselves through their house and their home. You see, throughout history, God's great purpose has been to build a house, a home, a dwelling place for his presence among his people. That's what God has been doing throughout all of history. In 1 Peter, you don't have to turn there, but if you have your Bible, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, 4 through 5, it says, As you have come to him, he's speaking to you individually, a living stone rejected by men. Many of us in this place are rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. There's some of you here, you just need to hear that, you need to go home. You may be rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2, 21 through 22, it says that, in, him, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple. That's a dwelling place of God's spirit. In him you also are being built together into what? A dwelling place for God by the spirit. I learned this when I was a kid and I thought it was really cool. When the king or queen of England, because they own a lot of different palaces and castles. When they are residing in one, in one castle or one palace, their standard, the royal standard of the United Kingdom is flown above that castle and not in any other place. And then when they get in a car and they're traveling in like the, that really nice like armored Bentley that they travel to, I don't know, whatever a queen travels back and forth to, like different tees and whatnot, back and forth. When she gets in that Bentley, it has her st- the royal standard of the United Kingdom flying to show that the queen is in that vehicle. When they used to have a yacht, when the queen was on the yacht, the royal standard would fly over the yacht. And if you have a, a, a private or a public building or dwelling place, if she were to ever come to your home or your business, you would have the ability to fly that royal standard of the United Kingdom over your building while she was there to show that's where the queen is. Because where the queen is, that's where her presence is. It's how the people know that a normal building has been turned into a royal residence, if even for a few moments. And see, I think that's the great assumption that Paul and the Corinthians, and you will see in a minute, like, they have some differences of opinion on how this all works out. But that's the assumption that both Paul and the Corinthians are dealing with in this passage, and they're kind of dispute back and forth between each other. I don't know if we, you and I, being the modern church, always has. That assumption is this, that God is in our midst, and that's why we're gathering. The assumption that Paul and the Corinthians were making was that God is in our midst, and that is why we are gathering. Ladies and gentlemen, if God is not real, and if he is not dwelling with his people, if he is not dwelling in you and me individually and then us together corporately, then we have gathered for no reason this morning. Whatever reason you might have come, that is the reason that we exist and that we gather. But let's think about it. What kind of criteria do we normally use for church to determine whether it's successful or not? Did I like it? 
Were they friendly to me? Did the meeting go too long? Was the music too loud? Was it too short? Was it too long? Was the preacher funny? Was he entertaining? Did he move me? Do I feel emotions? Do I like him? Do I like the people? Or it's not really my style. All those things, that all those things play into the whole mix. But the, this should be the true and sole report card for whether our gatherings are successful or not. This should be. Did we gather centered around God? Did we gather centered around Him, around His Word, around His Gospel, around His people, around His Spirit? That's the report card, whether we're being successful or not. And then... That plays out in the question that, and the, the statement that Paul opens the section that Justin read this morning for us. He starts off by saying, it's a segue from last, from last week where we were talking about uh, love alone should be the measure. Love alone should be our fuel for what we do for our spirituality. And love alone lasts. He says, therefore, pursue love. Do we gather centered around God, his word, his gospel, his presence among us? And did we pursue love? That's the second question that should be on our report card. It should be on our report card collectively, and it should be on our report card, report card individually. So when you and I leave today, the question that we should be asking wasn't, hey, was Randy good this morning? Though, I mean, most of the time that's not Grade, doesn't grade out very well. Was the band rocking this morning? Were they friendly? Was, did they run out of the little cracked cinnamon buns out there? This was the whole reason that I come. Did the, it was too dark or too warm or it's a school gym, so it's kind of smelly. And all those things, the, the question that we should ask is, did, when I showed up this morning and I came and I gathered and I talked to people as we were having little cups of coffee and shoveling down the cinnamon rolls and uh, talking to people before and afterwards, was I pursuing love? as my ultimate aim. When we gather as C groups in the middle of the week and we eat dinner together and we open the Bible together and we share and we pray, the, the question that we should ask isn't, hey, did, why did so-and-so have such terrible breath tonight? Or, you know, why did it go past 8.30? Or, or why did it start so late? Or why do we eat, you know, the chili, yet again, what are, what, all whatever issues that you may be deciding, the, the question that you should ask individually and we should ask co collectively according to what Paul is saying here, what he's starting out of the gate, he said, did I pursue love? Did we gather centered around God? Did I pursue love? And the third question is he says next, he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Did we, I don't know what your translation might read there, the official translation of Randy slash Doxa, which is uh, the ESV. It says spiritual gifts. The wording there has to do more of a, it's definitely spiritual gifts, but it's really the word like manifestations of the spirit. Did we earnestly desire manifestations of 
God's spirit in our midst? Do we earnestly desire for God to show up and declare himself and glorify himself and minister to the people around us through ourselves? Did we gather center around God? Did we pursue love? Did we earnestly desire manifestations of the spirit? You see, the church is the household, the dwelling place, the home of Jesus in this world. Jesus came in for 33 or so years. He came and he walked the world and he showed us who the Father was. He's no longer here physically except through his body, his dwelling place, his temple, his church. The church is the household, the dwelling place, the, the home of Jesus in this world. And here's the question. How do they know he's here? We're to gather with God in our midst. So then Paul and the Corinthians, what's going on here is they're having this sort of uh, this sort of tug of war on that. How do people know? What are the signs that people can have that God is in our midst? What are the signs? What are, what are the pictures that, that, that we know and the people from the outside who come into our midst, how do they know? How do, how do we know that God is present and in our midst? First of all, it says that we are to gather for the edification of the church. That's how they know that he is in our midst, that we are gathering for the edification of the church. It says, it starts it out in the context of love. He says, pursue love. He said it the whole, this whole passage, and what we talked about last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the ultimate kind of coffee cup, coffee cup, Christian calendar you read it at weddings, it's beautiful. Some people have it on t-shirts. Like Some people might have them on shawls or like a Christian throw rug or a Christian like blanket that they put on their couch. But really, it's not such a sweet, cute, cutesy little uh, passage. It's a passage that says like love is the measure whether we're being successful or not. And that love, it goes to great lengths. And we saw this only shown and only exhibited through the person of Jesus Christ. You and I fail in that measure. But we are to gather in the context of love for God and love for other people. That's our motivation for gathering together. When you and I come together, what are we thinking about what is going on? What are we thinking about as my purpose? Am I coming to, to see what people can give to me and say to me? Am I coming, coming because I'm checking something off a checklist or because I like the music of this particular place or like this preacher of this particular place or I like this particular cinnamon buns in a particular place or why am I showing up? Am I showing up out of love for God and love for other people, seeking their edification. That's what so what was going on was that the church in Corinth, they had they had said, all right, here's here's the measure of spirituality. This is how we know that God is in our midst. When we get together, uh 
people, pre- people speak in tongues. That's sort of like a, that was an individual badge when that church gathered together of your spirituality. And so when people would come, like, I don't know how it started. Maybe somebody pre- spoke in tongues one day and other people were like, man, that's really cool. And some other people did it, like, man, that's really cool. And then people thought, well, you must be really spiritual because you have this crazy, like, amazing, like, some of us would think, like, really freak me out kind of gift where you're speaking in tongues, right? Let's be honest. That's kind of freaky to most of us in here. That's okay. Let's own that. I still think it's a touch freaky, but it's like a gift of the Holy Spirit. So we'll just camp there and be okay with that and be okay in the queasy freakiness of it. But somebody started preaching, speaking in tongues, and other people did, and other people didn't. All of a sudden, it sort of became a badge of spirituality. Have you spoken in tongues? No, I haven't. Uh, I didn't know I was better than you, so now, but now I know. And so, so this was a pecking order. So everybody would come, and so I can't let other people think I'm not spiritual, so I'm going to speak in tongues, and you're going to speak in tongues. And all of a sudden, everybody's just speaking in tongues as we all gather together, and you just have people just speaking in tongues all together. And it's sort of this, this competition of who's more spiritual. And Paul said, you guys have this thing all wrong. The purpose of you gathering together isn't to show off your personal spirituality. The purpose of you gathering together is to gather around, centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ to pursue love and to seek the edification of the people around you. What? It's like the whole famous JFK speech, right? Ask not what? Absolutely. That's not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And he's saying that is the attitude that we are to have when we gather together. Not tickle me, not make me happy, not wow me this morning, but how do I gather in our large gatherings and our small gatherings at, over coffee and over the breakfast that I have with my buddies on Wednesday morning? How do I gather to seek their edification and their growth? It's not solely for my personal spiritual edification, so that, though that's good. Look at verse 4. Actually, this is interesting. You can just file this away, talk about it in your C groups, verses 4, 6, 14, and 16 through 17. Verse 4, uh, the one who speaks in the tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So he's saying like, hey, there's a place for tongues, but it builds you up. It doesn't build other people up. So don't bring that to the table Verse uh, when you gather together. Verse 6, now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? So it, it builds you up, but it doesn't build other people up. Verse uh, 14, for if I pray in the tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with Praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Verses 16 through 17. Um, Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving? When he says outsider there, he means people who who are outside of yourself, other people who are around you. Say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying. For he may be giving thanks well enough. But the other person is not being built up. He's saying that when we gather, the sole purpose that we should have in place is how do I, we gather around God in his presence, uh, seeking his, his, him to show himself mighty in our midst and to pursue love, the edification and building up of his body, of other people around me. What, what can I do to bring that to the table? 
He says we should be gathering for the edification of the church, the people. You see it in verses 3 through 5. We already kind of ran across it. But on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Uh, the one who speaks in the tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues. Just file that away. You can talk about it in C groups. But even more, to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Why is he greater? Because the church can be built up if they understand what he's saying. That's the point that he's making with the Corinthians. He's saying when you gather, you should be gathering for the edification of the church, the people. What does that look like? Well, he tells us in verse 3, on the, he says it's for the upbuilding, the encouragement, and the consolation of people. So when we gather together, we should be praying and seeking God this morning. And the conversations that I have, and the interactions that I have with other people, how can you use me to build the, the people up who are around me? When we say build them up, we mean build them up in their faith, to point them to you. Some of us came in here this morning, we're weak. We've had really difficult weeks. Some of us have had really difficult years. Some of us had really difficult lives. Some of us in this room are flagging. We feel like we're failing and we're ready to give up. And when we gather, it should be a place where the people around you are building you up. And we should be looking to do this and that to the people who are in our midst. It should be a place to come to be built up. Not just on Sunday morning, but every time we gather, whether it's a group that's large or a small group or just a couple of people. He said for the upbuilding and the building up, he also said for the encouragement. For the encouragement. This is by the Spirit. It's not just you and me saying, hey, I'm so happy you're here. Good job. I'm proud of you. But it's God being able to speak through me to the people who are around me such a way as to encourage them. How many of you had time where you walked into a, maybe a church meeting on a Sunday morning or you meet with somebody for coffee or you show up at a small group meeting and man, you're just really discouraged. You're really down. And somebody said just the right thing to you that encouraged you. I thought about this uh, years ago. I went to a, uh, I was, man, I'll tell you how long ago it was. The, uh, the O.J. Bronco chase happened while I was on this trip. That's how long ago it was. I am really old. But I went down to a Christian music festival down in Atlanta. I rode in the back seat of a Geostorm. If anybody knows, remembers what that is, there's no back seat in a Geostorm. It's just a little spot. And I was about the same, wasn't as big as I am now, but I was about the same height as I am now. I was crumpled back into the back seat. And everybody who was on this went down with some friends, and everybody who was on the trip had a girlfriend or boyfriend with them, except me. I was like the perpetual third wheel and no matter whatever circle I was in. And I was just really down about it because I don't know if you remember what it's like to be a teenager or, uh, man, if you don't have a girlfriend, like, you're, you're just like, man, you're just a little bit lost, right? And man, I was just feeling really, really sorry for myself. And, I was, and we're in this, uh, it came to a point, we're in this hotel room and I just like started just whining to the guy who was in the room with me. And I remember to this moment, this guy was not a very spiritual person. I don't even know if he was a Christian. But we were sitting in that room, and I was just whining about how I didn't have anybody, and everybody else had a girlfriend, a boyfriend. Why I was all alone, blah, blah, blah. And he just said, and I remember, I knew it was God at the moment. He said, it's not your time yet. 
it's a very simple, stupid statement to say to somebody, but at that moment, it's exactly what I needed to hear. And I knew God spoke to me through that man. And I was not whining or crying for a long time after that because I knew it wasn't my time yet. My time would come. Have you guys ever experienced something like that? Shouldn't when we gather be full of experiences like that? You know, one thing that has to happen in order for that to, to really happen, we have to share lives with each other because you can't be encouraged unless people know that you're discouraged. And you can't encourage other people unless you know what's going on in their life. Because platitudes don't, don't encourage people. Genuine, authentic encouragement by the, empowered by the Spirit of God is what encourages people. For the building up, for the encouragement of the Spirit, and lastly, for the consolation by the Spirit. Maybe you're sick, or family member's sick, or you lost a job, or you're struggling. You know, I've been in those situations, and really the last thing you want to hear is somebody to try to console you, right? Isn't that the most irritating sound when somebody tries to console you, they just give you platitudes when things have gone bad? What Megan and I tell people around us, hey, if, if you're in the middle of a crisis, if, if, people are, if, if you're dealing with a crisis somebody else is dealing with, don't just say every, everything's going to be okay. That's the last thing they want to hear. They want you to sit there and be there with them through the mess. It's a power of, people, of consoling people by the power of the Spirit of God. You are willing to walk with them through the difficult times, to cry with them, to be a presence with them, to be in that moment a picture, a bit of Jesus for them, to hold their arms up, to care for them when they need consoling. Not, not with platitudes, but with your presence and therefore the presence of God in your midst. We're to gather with God in our midst is what Paul is saying. We're to gather for the edification of the church, not looking for sp personal spiritual exaltation or even having, though we will, we will be personally spiritually edified, not seeking that as the end, but for us to gather together to seek the building up, the encouragement and the consolation of the other believers around us by the Spirit of God. And then we're to gather, it's a beautiful ending, we're to gather as proof to unbelievers. Our community, and therefore our gathering, should be signs to unbelievers that God is true. The phrasing in this uh, ending is, is really weird. Um, it can be very confusing because in verse uh, in verse twenty two, Paul says, "Thus signs are uh, sorry. Thus tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers." But then later on down, he says, um, uh, the very next, "Sorry, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders and unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Isn't that true, guys?" Don't you think, like, if you invited a friend to come and we were all, like, speaking in tongues, they would say, man, those are the crazy people. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What he's saying that is, so when he gives that confusing 
wording about a sign. He's saying it's a sign. Tongues are a sign for unbelievers that you guys are crazy. When he comes in, unbeliever comes in, they see you guys, like, they're like, wow, that is a, it's a different kind of sign. Like the Christians see it uh, in, in Corinth, and they thought, wow, that's a sign of spirituality. People from the outside saw it. They saw that was a sign of craziness. Like the crazy, the crazy Christians are in that place. But if we are seeking God to speak through us to other people, then when they come in our midst, they hear not just the preaching, they hear you talk to them before and afterwards, and you're seeking God, would you somehow speak something to them through me? I don't know what it is or what it would be, but would you somehow, you know, even, even if it's just convey your love to them, convey your, your beauty and your power and your majesty to them, would you encourage them some way? When they come in and they see that and they hear that, it has a powerful effect to them. He doesn't say that your awesome lights will win them, which is awesome because my job is to cut the lights on, and I was in a class beforehand, and the lights didn't get cut on. He doesn't say it's your cool music program that will win them. He doesn't say it's your awesome, cool, hip preacher that will win them. He says when they come in your midst and they hear God speak to them through other human beings. It says two things will happen. It says one, they'll be convicted. Look at that. Verse 24, but if all prophesied an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. It may be in a very general way. They come in and Somebody's preaching or you guys talk to them and you're able to identify with them and God speaks to you, through you to them. And all of a sudden they're like, how did you know that? How did you know what I was going through? I've had people come in and say, not, maybe not many, but I've had people say, I thought you were speaking right to me that morning. I didn't know where they were or what was going on. God used what I say to speak to them right where they were. The, the secrets of their heart were disclosed to them. And they were convicted. And secondly, it says they'll be convinced. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Fall on his face and will worship God and declare that God is really among you. When we gather with God in our midst and he speaks to each other through each other, Something powerful happens. Not only are we encouraged, but somebody who does not even know him comes in from the outside and they are convicted and convinced of the truth of God in a powerful way. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, what does this look like for you? It looks like for you, you come in and you worship with us, you hang out with us on Sunday mornings. You just hear God speak to you over time. It means you come and hang out with us as we hang out in our C groups and we do life together and grab lunch or breakfast together. You come and hang out there in our midst and you give it time and space for God to speak to you and convict you and convince you that he is real. And then one day, like C.S. Lewis, famous uh, author, he says he got on the train, an unbeliever, and got off the train and was a believer he doesn't know what happened, but his life was changed. Exactly what mile marker it happened, but it happened. He 
and you'll hang out with us in our midst, and God will change your heart. For some of you, it may happen in one gathering. It may convict you and convince you at a moment. Sometimes it takes time. I invite you to hang out with us and allow it to have its work. That is the unique mark of the church that God is in our midst. And if you don't see that proof, then there's nothing to believe. If you're not a believer here this morning, and when non-believers come in, when your friends and relatives, they come in and you invite them, it's not going to be, if God is in our midst, and he doesn't move and convict and convince them, none of my preaching will. None of Dale's preaching will. No great argument that you make will. You can give them more than a carpenter. Is that the name of the book? You can give them more than a carpenter or a case for Christ and try to prove it as much as you possibly can, but nothing will prove it unless and until the Spirit of God speaks to them and awakens them in their soul. And if you are a believer, if you aren't a believer and you hang out with us and you do see that God is in our midst, the question for you is, what are you going to do with that? We'll end with the application we do. So what do we do? If, if the purpose of our gatherings is to gather with God in our midst, if the purpose of our gathering is to gather for the edification, the building up of the body of Christ, and the purpose of our gatherings is to gather as a proof to unbelievers, a sign to them that God is real and is really in this place. Not just in this building. Obviously, he's not in this gym. He's in our midst. I mean, we're going to tell us all this down, and tomorrow is going to be a school. It's not this place. It's us together as a people that are being built together into living stones. Then what do we do? Number one, we express an earnest desire for God's manifested presence through per- fervent prayer. That's what he opened up with. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts or earnestly desire the manifestations of God's presence in your midst. So we as a people should express an earnest desire to God in fervent prayer. God, when we gather this morning, would you show up in our midst? And when we gather in our secret, would you show up in our midst? When we gather to just me and a friend to have coffee, would you show up in our midst? And, and whatever you and I may think that, that is, it isn't always goosebumps. It isn't always amazing, cool things happen. Sometimes it's very much underneath the surface. We gather together, nothing looks very special. I've given some really clunker of sermons. You guys know that. And I've had people come up afterwards and say, God spoke to me this morning through that. It wasn't through my eloquence. It was God, God's the power of his presence and of his word touching them. I pray generally, and sometimes I forget, but I pray when I go to gather for coffee with somebody or for a breakfast or see group, God, would you show up this morning? Would you show up tonight? Would you use me in whatever way you see fit to encourage and build up the people around me? Sometimes I do a terrible job at that. But that should be our earnest desire. We should be expressing that in prayer because only God can make that happen. We can't manufacture it. We don't want to manufacture that because it would be fake. You guys ever been a part, you don't have to raise your hand, ever been a part of church that tries to manufacture like goosebumps and cool feelings and emotions and responses every week? It gets tiresome. 
When I'm talking about working things up, we're talking about seeking God to do what only he can do. Number two, not only express an earnest desire for God through fervent prayer, but two, expect God's manifested presence when we gather. Expect God's manifested presence when we gather. Why? Because he is here. We're not asking him to do something that's not already done. He is building us together into a dwelling place for his spirit. It's what he loves to do. He loves to convict people and convince people. He loves to build up people and edify them and console them and encourage them. It's what he does. If we come earnestly expressing that in prayer and expecting it when we gather, he will do it empowered by the Holy Spirit and saturated in the scripture. And lastly, we act in ways that will build up, encourage, and console people. When I gather each morning here, I should act in ways that will build up, encourage, and console people. That should be our job. We should be 100% volunteers, not to turn on the lights or put up the poles, though, hey, we could use help with that. But 100% volunteers as a church, building up, encouraging, and consoling each other with the power of the Holy Spirit, saturated in his word. Jesus came to show us God. He did so through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The people who saw that and believed it were never the same again. Even the seeming lowest moment of his life, whenever he was hanging on the cross, the Roman soldier who was standing nearby said, what, surely this man is the son of God. What was there to convince him that it was the son of God? There was a man who was beaten and nailed to a cross and had died. How would, what was it to tell him that? He did it because it, it was apparent to him because God Jesus was showing us the Father and his love and his sacrifice for us. And Jesus is still doing the same thing, except now through his church. The manifestation of his spirit to build up, encourage, and console is our, in our midst. To convict and to convince non-believers is the royal standard of him taking our normal lives and turning them into a royal residence. Not just now, but for eternity. That is the sign to each other and to non-believers that he is here. May we make the, the fulfillment of that our greatest goal as a church our greatest goal as members of this church. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up and play. Give us time to think and reflect. Maybe some of us need to respond in repentance to the word this morning. Maybe some of us need to be encouraged in the word this morning. And then we're going to gather together to partake of the cup together. It is a joyous thing to do. It preaches the gospel to us every week that Jesus, what Jesus did on our behalf that we could not do. And that he died to build his church and he's present in our, present in our midst to redeem people. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.